Hello, g'day and welcome to Party in China, Series 2, Episode 20. I'm Party Parsler, and today's episode is introduced, intriguingly, by William Shakespeare. From Romeo and Juliet, <clears throat> What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And from Hamlet, The cock, that is the trumpet to the morn, doth with his lofty and shrill-sounding throat awake the god of day. Ha! <coughs> huh, weren't expecting that, were ya? An unexpected pleasure when new students arrived at Aston was that I got to christen them. Well, christen isn't the right word. Baptise? Nah, it's worse. Nominate? Appellate? Well, look, what happens is, in their very first English class, each child is given an English name, which they use for the rest of their lives when interacting with foreigners. For instance, almost every time I met someone new, they'd tell me their English alias, although sometimes only after I'd mispronounced their real name. But I'd never really thought about how these monikers were chosen. Except Juanita had told me that she'd chosen her name herself, as her family called her Hua, so she just added Nita on the end. But Juanita is unusual. In many ways. Most of the allotted names were boring Anglo choices, sounding like they were chosen from Enid Blyton's stories, or the guest list at a young conservative's gig for a Peter, Paul and Mary tribute band. I sort of felt it was a remnant of an earlier colonial era when Westerners couldn't be bothered learning foreign-sounding names, and occasionally you would meet someone who rejected the practice, like one of Trevor's many girlfriends, Ming, who never refer to having an English pseudonym. Nonetheless, I renamed her anyway, and she was always Ming the Merciless to me. I've never known such a scathingly blunt person. Like many young dames, she thought Trevor was handsome, but told me I was ugly because I was too fat and hairy, and not just once. Every time we spoke, she'd find a way to criticise my weight, clothes, behaviour, appearance. It was like I was still married. Ming the Merciless was a fellow teacher who made an effort to lunch with us in the cafeteria so she could practice insulting people in English. She was a pretty pert little person, but her manner was so abrasive. I assumed Trevor shared my distaste for her company. So when she walked into Juanita's one night and kissed Trevor hello, I spat out my beer in shock. Because every conversation with Ming felt like a duel, Juanita and I told her that hello in French was en garde. I hope she's caused some French tourist terrific confusion with that. I enjoyed inserting misinformation into classes and conversations, hoping these little time bombs would explode in a cloud of confoundment when the Chinese person would use it months or years later. For instance, I told several classes that the correct term for police officers in cars or on motorcycles was motor force, but that everybody shortened that to mofo. So if they ever spoke to a policeman, 
they should say, Hello, mofo! I doubt it ever happened, but I'd love to imagine it. Another bit of fun that was highly unlikely to ever eventuate was devised during a lesson about English terms for different clothes. I downloaded some photos to show the difference between a shirt and a blouse, trousers and jeans, shoes and sandals, etc. One of the photos was of a St Patrick's Day party going right off. That somehow led me to talk about the Irish word crack, meaning fun or a party, and then divilment led me to invent a phrase. Someone who is going to have fun is called a crack smuggler. So if you're ever on holiday and someone asks you why you're there, tell them you're a crack smuggler. God, I hope that comes true somewhere. <laughs> but all that was back in Diang and I was now in Ganyu with Summer explaining to me my new duty and showing me the relevant page at the back of the teacher's textbook with about 20 suggested names each for boys and girls. That first time I handed out boring monikers like Bobby and Billy and Judy and Susie, but I may have been a tad unclear, as after class little Billy ran up to his parents and told them his name was Judy. I didn't correct his error. Good luck to him, I say. Character building. But then, eating lunch, I realised that rather than a duty, this was an opportunity. A gift for someone of my ilk. So I am proud to publicly declare that there are now Chinese children called Kylie, Charlene, Trevor, Bruce, Cheryl, Neryl, Bluey and Gibbo. Actually, there are two Gibbos. Other newcomers exited their first English class as Jerry, Elaine, George and Kramer, as well as Daphne, Roz, Niles and Frazier. But my finest moment came the next day with a new class of six, whom I christened with a comedy duo theme. Abbott, Costello, Laurel, Hardy, Morecambe and Wise. But I must have looked too pleased with myself because Summer suspiciously asked if those were real names. Oh, very popular, I assured her. These names are known all over the world. I'd long ago given up on lesson preparation. There was nothing even slightly challenging at any level of class, but didn't realise how long it had been since I used my desk in the office until I hid in there from some grateful parents and found some other grateful parent had gifted me a pot plant with a climbing vine that had already colonised half the windowsill. You know you're slacking off when a plant makes more progress than you do. It probably sounds bad that I was avoiding the heartfelt gratitude of satisfied customers, but the meeting was always exactly the same and always excruciating. One of the Chinese teachers would introduce us, tell me how pleased the parents were with their child's progress, and then we'd all stand around smiling in mutual and comprehensive incomprehension until somebody, i.e. me, summoned the discourtesy to walk away. One day, Summer asked me for a favour 
to help her conduct a job interview. The prospective teacher was qualified on paper, but Summer wanted to make sure that her English was actually good enough to teach the senior classes. When she correctly read my expression as trying to think of an excuse to say no, she told me that it would count as that week's contractual non-teaching time. So I soon chatted to the polite young woman and asked her why she wanted to teach English. I want to help to spread the word. What word? We have lots of words in English. The word. English is the language of the one true God. Which one? She just looked at me. Which one true God? Jesus Christ. Well then, Christ is breaking even because he lost me, but he gained you. She just looked at me again. Christ is even. He has you, but he doesn't have me. I used to be, but now I'm not, a Catholic. Long, long pause, and then... What did the cat lick? I told Summer to give her the job, but she didn't. My apartment was on what we would call the second floor, but as the Chinese follow the American system, I'll say it's the third. Also, it makes me sound taller. All of the apartments on the first floor, aka the ground floor, had minuscule courtyards which people used as veggie plots, each with a small structure at the back connected to form a row and act as a back fence. I'd presumed them to be tiny garages for bikes and scooters, but a nose around the back alley revealed them to be tiny kitchens where people parked their bikes and scooters. On the roof of the kitchen slash garage, directly below my balcony were two tiny cages side by side. In one, there lived two white ducks. In the other, an evil, unbelievably noisy chicken. The ducks were the ones I felt sorry for. They didn't have room to move or even to stand. I never heard a single quack and believed that they were forced into catatonic dementia by the idiot bird next door and its cacophonic crowing. The demon rooster started to crow around 2.30am and continued its horrific uproar randomly until around 10 or 11. Usually it took lunchtime off, had a bit of a siesta and started again around 4pm, blurting out bird brays until around 11 or midnight. I very quickly came to hate that chicken. I often feel that birds still have too much of the dinosaur in them for my liking. My son once had a parrot that always tried to eat my spectacles. Another time I was attacked by an emu. But I've never loathed and despised a bird as much as I did that feathered fiend. Awakened before three every morning, I'd lie there transfixed by the threat of the next noise because there was no regularity, no predictability. It might come in 15 seconds, maybe 15 minutes. Most likely, right after I fell back asleep. Maybe it was not knowing that was worse. 
No, the worst was that it was very, very loud. I tried some defensive measures. Closing all the windows, the heavy curtains and the balcony door had a noticeable but ultimately insufficient effect. I then made a strategic retreat, more or less abandoning the bedroom after propping the double mattress up against the balcony door and windows, and I started sleeping in the living room. That was much better. The crowing was still audible, but considerably weaker after echoing around the other buildings. Apart from insanely allowing a chicken to drive me out of my bedroom, other symptoms of my sleep deprivation included screaming shut the f*** up at the top of my lungs at all hours of the day and night. At first it would shock Beelzebub's bird into a temporary silence. It also made me feel better, both at that time and later when my neighbours gave me filthy looks on the stairs. They may somehow have been sleeping through the crowing, but not my bellowing. Obsessively collecting rocks and bits of brick when out walking. Due to the constant construction and demolition, there is no shortage of rubble in China. I would line these Stone Age missiles up on the balcony windowsill in approximate size order, ready to be hurled below. Collateral damage was a worry, but the cages provided plenty of protection, fortunately for the ducks and unfortunately for my hope of a lucky lob shooting through the bars and braining that bird turd. Again, a near miss would shut the raucous rooster up for a while, perhaps long enough to grab 40 winks, or 30 winks at least. Plotting to catch one of the local stray cats and throw it onto the garage roof in an assassination attempt. But no feline trusted me enough to come within grabbing distance. Besides, there was no guarantee any of the local moggies would kill the rooster anyway. There were plenty of free-range chickens and ducks roaming the alleys with impunity. Yet, the cats looked starving. Hadn't they ever seen a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon? Planning to climb onto the roof and take matters into my own hands by taking its scrawny neck in my own hands. But I was too scared of bird flu. People were dying, not in Ganyu, but in adjoining provinces. I used to hold my breath whenever I had to pass the foul fowl foraging in the streets. I even tried to buy some protective clothing for the killing. The face mask was easily done, but getting kitchen or gardening gloves large enough for my hands was impossible. But it didn't matter anyway, because dozens of windows looked down onto that roof. And as the only six-foot-tall, fat-assed, buff-headed Kwai Lo in Ganyu, even if I wore a ski mask the size of a burka, I didn't fancy my chances in a police lineup. I can't find it now, so I can't read it to you verbatim, but I remember one of my overnight notes to self saying that I should apologise to all my old girlfriends now that I knew what it was like to be woken up all night by an annoyingly insistent cock. So, sorry, ladies. As any doctor, torturer or psychological warfare expert will tell you, lack of sleep addles the brain. And as Shakespeare said in King Lear, Oh, that way madness lies. So there's much more madness coming up on Party in China. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 
Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.